All right, this morning we are going to continue our sermon series, taking a look at the theme called paper. Now we know paper, paper is what we refer to as, as money, um, but it's also um, something that we use in this world economy. So the title of the message today is Enough, and it's with a question mark, like when is enough? For it seems as though the American way has become more about what we have and that helps define who we are. So we, we live now in an America where there's this, this tendency that has been woven so much into the fabric of our being that it's hard for us sometimes to see where it comes from and how what, who we are relates to what Christ calls us to do and what Christ calls us to be. And so as we live in America, we live with this idea that we always want more, that we always need more. And so we live our lives never really being satisfied. In some ways, it's almost as though we're caught up in this cycle where we feel this great need to make a lot of money so that we can have a lot of things, and the more things that we have require more money, so we're continually in this cycle where we want more, and we spend more, and we're continually spending, 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 making, 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 and sometimes in this cycle, we get into the the fact or the trajectory to where we spend all the way up to our limits, and sometimes we even spend beyond the limits of our income. And this cycle, this rat race that we live in can be devastating because this devastating pattern that we find ourselves in can lead to a sense of dissatisfaction and a debt-filled life where we are living way, way beyond our, need, our, our means. So the question this morning that I want to pose to us is, is when is enough enough? Like, when can we finally look at what we make and what we do and what we have and finally say, hey, this is enough? You know, there are many other cultures in our world today that this is even a question that that comes across their mind. They're not asking these questions. Some cultures in our world today are just trying to find enough to eat and to survive. They're not even in a place where they're trying to look at all that they have and they don't have to ask themselves, when is enough enough? But it's a question that plagues us. So the question I want to pose before you in your mind and in your heart, and I want to rest on your heart today, is when will you be, when will we be satisfied? What is it going to take for us to be satisfied? And this can be a hard question to answer. But today I want us to, to look to God's word, and I want to allow him to encourage us or use his word to reframe our minds towards his understanding of satisfaction, specifically as it relates to money. So how does satisfaction, our satisfaction, as it relates to money, based in the idea in the mind and heart of God? So in this series we've been looking at, so far we began a few... Two weeks ago, we looked at that God is the giver. God is the giver of all things. Everything that we have comes from the hand of God. Last week, we looked at there's a danger in our lives when we divorce the gift from the giver. So when we divorce the gift from the giver, we get into a, a difficult challenge and a hard place. And today, we're going to look at looking at avoiding the danger of loving the gift over The giver. When we place more love, more affection, more satisfaction in the gift over the giver, we run into challenges. 
And so we're going to come and look today. If you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to take it out and turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We're going to begin looking in in verse 10. And we're going to use this as the passage to kind of help begin to frame our minds and answer the question, when is enough enough? Ecclesiastes chapter 5, beginning in verse 10. And as we go there, I'll give you a little background to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes was written by the King Solomon, who was arguably the richest person who has ever lived. Not only the richest person that has ever lived, but Scripture says that he is the wisest person that has ever lived. And so he's a wise person, he's a rich person, so he has everything at his disposal. And he walks through life and he writes the book of Ecclesiastes kind of at the end of his life where he's had an opportunity to explore life and to enjoy life, to to suck the morrow out of life completely. And now he's reflecting upon all the things that he's learned and now is allowing wisdom to flow from his mouth. And so here, as we come to this place, the richest man that ever lived, the wisest man ever lives, here speaks great wisdom about about money and wealth. And he gives us two things that we're going to see. First, he's going to give us uh, uh, something to guard our hearts against, and then he's going to give us something that we should pursue. So look with me in verse 10, beginning of chapter 5. He begins, and he says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. So the first thing we're going to see here is is Solomon is giving us words of wisdom about money and wealth. As he says, guard your heart against covetousness. Guard your heart against covetousness. Now, coveting is this thing or it's a, a deep yearning that comes from within us. It's a yearning or a desire or it's a drive to always want more than what you have. So Solomon is going to talk about this. He's going to say, guard your heart against this yearning or this desire to always have more. And he goes on and he begins and he says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. So he begins by giving us a warning against loving money. He says there's this great danger in loving money. One, this love of money, it's addicting. The more, you ha- the more you have of it, the more uh, you want of it. And so you have this addictive personality or this addictive trait that goes along with loving money. And so not only is it addicting, he also says that it's unsatisfying. An addiction to money is completely unsatisfying. In much the same way, it's like a person who is thirsty, who goes and is, has the whole ocean in front of them. And as they're thirsty, they go to the ocean and they begin drinking it. And it doesn't satisfy them. Instead of drinking all of the salt water they can, it inevitably, over the long run, kills them. So Solomon is saying, that is what the love of money is like. It won't ever satisfy you. So he guards us against covetousness. And he goes off and he begins by saying, do not love money. We look at ourselves today and we we say, well, I, I... I'm not a person that loves money. Like, I don't worship money. I, I don't have an altar to money in my house, do I? Like, I don't love money. But I want to get you to think about this in a different way. Maybe, maybe it's not so much that you love the paper money, but it's the things of money. Maybe instead of being addicted to, to money, maybe we're addicted to material possessions, 
Maybe it's we can't have enough material possessions. And, and how is it that you get those material possessions? Isn't it through money? So maybe what, what Solomon is saying is, is you can kind of co- connect the two. Maybe a love of money and a love of possessions are merely the same thing because you need one to get to the other. So if you look at your life and you are addicted to having possessions or you're continuing to gather and gain more and more position or possessions, maybe you're in this position that Solomon is warning against. Well, maybe you're still not convinced. Well, I want us to, to look at uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and I want us to see that Solomon here gives us a litmus test. He, he's going to walk through some things to give us a litmus test to see or to help reveal if we are coveting money or coveting possessions. Because he says, guard yourself against it. And we can look from verses 10 to 17. He's going to give us some things that we can lay as a rubric over our life to say, hey, am, am I in this situation? Am I in a place where I've fallen in love with the gift over the giver? If I have, and so I need to correct some things. So he's going to give us these things. And he, he begins by saying, if your life is marked by dissatisfaction, and maybe you're at a place where you've reversed it, where you've elevated the gift over the giver. And let me read this for you again in verse 11 and 12. He says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. When the goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? So if your life is marked by dissatisfaction, then maybe you have replaced the two. Maybe you've elevated the gift over the giver. J.D. Rockefeller, one of the, most, the richest Americans of all times, was asked the question, when is enough money enough? And this is what he answered. He says, just a little bit more. So the, one of the richest Americans of all time was asked the question, when is enough enough? And his response was quite insightful. And then he answered, just a little bit more. So in other words, his comment was showing, peering into his heart, where it reveals that he'll never be able to have enough. Never having enough. You know, for most Americans, dissatisfaction actually shows up in the fact of debt. Now, you may not be here today. You may say, I don't have any debt. I'm good to go. But, but for, for some, this is where it shows up. It shows up in the fact our dissatisfaction shows up in our debt. For did you know the average credit card debt per household is about $7,000? Now, that's credit card debt. That's not debt. But credit cards themselves, the average American household is about $7,000. The average revolving debt for each man, woman, and child in this country is about $2,700. So each person by themselves is, has credit card revolving debt of around $2,000 or almost $3,000. You see, we get into this place where we use credit cards when we, we plan to fail or we, we, we fail to plan. Where we covet things that are outside of what we can really afford. And sometimes these purchases, these expenses that we end up putting on credit cards, sometimes seems harmless, and we sometimes rationalize gaining and having more debt so we can have more. We, we say things like, I can go into debt because this is a good deal. Like, if it's a good deal, then it's worth it, right? 
So if I say that, then, then I can I'll, I'll put on my, my credit card because it's a good deal. Or maybe we can say, well, I'm actually saving money. Like if I buy it now, I'm actually saving money because it's on sale or it's a good deal. Or we say things like, I'll spend this now, but next month I'll spend less. Or we say things like when the new, newest gadget comes out and, and we're like, well, if I make this big purchase, even though I don't have the money in the bank to pay for it, it, if I make this new purchase, it'll help me be more efficient or even more productive or even help me even make more money if I have this new tool. Or maybe sometimes we buy or get into debt or go into debt because it's just been a, a tough day or I just deserve to indulge. I see debt when we live in this place where we're continually living beyond our means. It shows that we're dissatisfied. It shows that we don't have enough or we're not happy enough with what we have. So that's the first symptoms. If you're completely dissatisfied, if you live in a place where you're not satisfied, then that may be a place where you've elevated the gift over the giver. The second thing we see in verse 12 is, or the second question is, do you find yourself suffering from sleeplessness? Do you find yourself suffering from sleeplessness? Look at verse 12. It says, sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. So here Solomon is giving us a clear comparison of lifestyles. He says, one man exhausts himself throughout his day physically, but whatever he eats is continually burned up in the process. His toil may be hard, but it's simple. And untroublesome. So when he goes to bed at night, he sleeps well. Because he's taken enough in, and he's given enough, so at the end of the day, he's got nothing left to give, so he lays down in his bed and is able to rest. But then he con- contrasts that against the other person. Another person who, whose stomach is full well, who may not even had to break a sweat during the day, cannot sleep. So this sleeplessness comes about as the person lays awake at night, planning on how they are to get more. This person that's unsatisfied continues to lay awake at night saying, how can I get more? Or they they dream about that that new product that's coming out or that new toy or that, that next investment. They're continually having these things run through their minds and they're not able to sleep. Or maybe they've gotten to a place where they're they're living outside of their their means that now the creditors are calling and they're saying, hey, we want our money back, and they're not able to sleep because they have money troubles. Like if you're in a place like that, you've gotten to a place potentially that you flipped and you're elevating the gift over the giver next we see the next symptom is is your life filled with anxiety solomon goes on in verse 13 and 14 he says this there is a grievous evil that i've seen under the sun riches were kept by their owner to his hurt and those riches were lost in a bad venture and he is father of a son but he has nothing in his hand is your life filled with anxiety? Go to a point of where you're trying to, to hoard it, where you have anxiety over losing it. For money can make us mad, or possessions can make us mad. It makes us go crazy because we're filled with the fear of losing it, or desire of someone, or the fear of someone taking it. And it leads to anxiety. Is your life full of anxiety as you think about your finances, as you think about your possessions? Are you filled with anxiety? Solomon goes on to say that this type of pursuit only produces futility. Look at me in verses 15 and 17. 
It says, as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so also he shall go. And what he gains is there in him who toils for the wind. Moreover, moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. Solomon here is likening to the pursuit of, of money and the pursuit of possessions over the pursuit of God. He says it's much like chasing the wind. I mean, how futile is that to actually try to chase the wind? You want to go catch the wind. You can run and you can wear yourself out, but you're never going to actually be able to catch the wind, contain the wind, do anything with the wind because the wind is a force that is beyond you. And Solomon here is reminding us that the pursuit of wealth in this way as it becomes our God, as it becomes our king, is a wrong pursuit. And I really believe that Jesus, or God, here gives us these feelings, these feelings of anxiety, these feelings of sleeplessness, these feelings of unsatisfaction. He allows those things to well up, especially in the heart of a believer, so that he can use them to spotlight our sin. So if you're in a place today where you're thinking about your finances and you're already anxious, you're already like, I don't know, or I need more, and you're beginning to feel those things today, these are good and they're from the Lord so that they can spotlight our sin. For Jesus reminds us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus says this, he says, no one can serve two masters. For either you'll hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. And here's the kicker. He says, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. This is Jesus saying. He understands what's at stake. He understands the hearts of men are continually bent towards making more idols for themselves. And he says, sometimes in the heart of men, one of the idols that kind of creeps in, if we don't guard ourselves against it, an idol that is going to continually creep in in your life is a love of money. And so Jesus here is quietly telling us, those that will follow him, he says, you cannot serve both. You can't serve two masters. You cannot serve God and serve money. For when money becomes an idol, it becomes our master. And by allowing money to rule the day, we choose to say that God and we choose to say that Christ is not enough. That's this grievous evil that Solomon has been talking about. He shared it at least twice. He says, this is a grievous evil. When we put anything above Christ or we add to the equation here, where we say Christ plus something equals everything. When we say that, when we say I need to be happy to have Christ and something, that is a grievous evil. For Christ tells us all we need is Christ. So you say to yourself, well, is there any hope? Like, is there any hope? I live in this world. You don't know the world I live in. Yeah, I do. I'm an American. I'm a Christian American that has grown up in the same culture that you've grown up. I've taught, been taught my whole life that the pursuit of life is not necessarily a pursuit of God, but it's a pursuit of God and things. That in order to be happy, I need to have go to church, and I need to pray my prayers, I need to read my Bible, I need to work hard in school so I can get a good job, so that if I get a good job, I can make good money, so that I can buy a nice house, so I can live in the right neighborhood, send my kids to the right school. I'm in the same culture as you. And so I understand this struggle. 
to make sure that we're divorcing ourselves from this culture that we live in, living in the culture to engage the culture, but also at the same time maintain our Christian heart and Christian life. So the key is, as we guard ourselves against covetousness, but we can even see here that as we guard ourselves, we are to pursue contentment with our whole heart. Like that's the key. Guard ourselves against coveting, pursue contentment and it is a pursuit it's a relentless pursuit that we must continually live in every single day look with me as we look at verses 18 through 20 as solomon touches hold of this he says behold what i've seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of life that god has given him for this is his lot Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and the power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joys in his heart. You see, Solomon here gives us what is good. He says, this is good. This is not evil. So he goes on and we need to make a disclaimer here. What Solomon is not saying is that Money and wealth is not evil. He's not saying that. But he shows on, he says, this is what is good. He says, what is evil is the heart and the mind. Those things are evil. For if we look and we compare verses 10 and 17 to 18 and 20, we can look that the, the amount at which the wealth and possessions that are talked about have not changed. 10 and 17, wealth, possessions, 18 to 20, wealth, possessions, but what has changed is the attitude of the heart. That's what's changed. So if we look here, we can see there's enjoyment. There's enjoyment of the gifts of God. There's joy that comes from the gifts of God. There's rejoicing. Do you see the difference there? For the first set, we saw what comes about through hoarding money and desiring money and making that our God is anxiety, sleeplessness, and dissatisfaction. But now we see when you turn it over and you make God, Christ, your goal, and you are content with the things that he's given us. You have enjoyment. You have joy. And there's much rejoicing. But we must strive to find joy in what God has given us. Not our identity. Like we don't look at the things that we have as making our identity. But we look and we find joy with what God has given us. There's a song that I love from Lecrae. It's called Confessions. And I'm going to read to you a line that I just think encapsulates what this teaching is. He says, ain't nothing wrong with having it. Matter of fact, go and get it. But if you find identity in it, then go and forget it. You can gain the whole world, but lost the only thing you own, because everything else is just a temporary loan. He's, he's, I, I love this song because in it, he, he c- compares up and he says, you know, there's nothing wrong with having stuff. Like, it's not the stuff that you have that is evil. You can't look at your TV and say the TV is evil. You can't look at your your boat. You can't look at your vacation home. You can't look at your 401k and say that those things are evil. Those are not evil. Those are blessings from God as a result, potentially, of your work. But when you look to those things, and those are the things that you're chasing after, and you elevate them, and you find your identity in those things, that's when those things, you become evil, not those things. We must 
work hard to find joy in what we have, not in our, make our identity in it. Early on in my life, I had uh, the idea of what was going to be successful. Like, when I am successful, this is what my life is going to look like. So as a young person going through college and all that, I was continually making a list of when I have these things, this is when I will be successful, when I will be successful. Okay? And so I made this list, and, and what I saw was my success was basically and closely tied to the type of house that I lived in. So this was my list. My list was that I developed over time that I will be happy when I have a huge home. I don't care what the home looks like. I just need to be a huge home. So this is my list. A huge home on a lot of land that has a pond that's on a state line that overlooks a golf course. That was my list. Like, I will be successful when I have those things. And I, I worked to those things. As I was studying in school, I was like, I got to do this so that I can, I can have that dream. That's my dream. And somewhere along the way, I, as I kind of began pursuing God and began living for the Lord, I realized that, that my plans and my dreams are not necessarily God's plans and God's dreams. And somewhere along the way, my driving force was no longer this success. So when I finally got what my dream was a long time ago, I was able to enjoy it. And here's the story. This, the house that we just moved from in South Fulton, Tennessee, was actually on the state line. Like I had to go, I lived in Tennessee, I worked in Kentucky, but in order to get my mail, I had to cross the state line from, from Tennessee into Kentucky to get my mail and come back. So I lived on a state line. You look at my house, and, and the house that we lived in was this big plantation home. It was on, set on five acres, had a beautiful pond. And from my bathroom window, you could look out, and you could look out, and you could see right over to the country club, and the first tee was right outside my front window. And so I'd come to the place by following God and, and no longer making this my goal, but just living through life. God gave me all that I had desired, but I'd been faithful through it. And I was able to enjoy it for the time that God gave it. And I know there was something I was able to enjoy, not my identity, but my joy, for when God called me to move here and I had to give up that house, I wasn't devastated. I was content. And I was willing to give it up so that I could come here and to serve God in this great city. Like, there's nothing wrong with having it. Absolutely nothing wrong with having it. But if we find our identity in it, if it becomes our driving force, then we are in trouble. Scripture gives us some exhortations in areas that we are to be content. And I want you to just jot these down real fast. Exhortations in areas that we are to be content. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 reminds us that we should be content with our current possessions. Hebrews chapter 13 5 says this, be content with what you have. Quite simply, be content with what you have. Second, we can see in, in 1 Timothy 6.6 6, that we are to be content with our current provisions. Timothy says, if we have food and covering with these, we will be content. So be content with your current provisions. And lastly, we see scripture tells us, is, exhorts us to be content with our current paycheck. Luke chapter 3, verse 14. Be content with your wages. So the issue is fight back against covetedness, but continue to be content, specifically in these areas of our possessions, our provisions, and our paychecks. You may ask yourself the question, well, how, how am I going to be content? How, this is hard. How can I be content in those areas? 
Well, I think Paul gives us some beauty in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. He gives us these teachings on being content. I want to share them with you first. Paul shows us that he knows and has developed and identified the secret to being content. He says, this is the secret to being content. Let me read it for you in verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low and, how to, and now how to abound. And in every and every situation, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So Paul says, I have learned the secret to being content. But do you want to know what that secret is? It's the very next, next verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So Paul is saying, as I know the secret to content, and the contentness is, the secret to contentness is this, make Christ your treasure. That's it. That's the secret. When Christ is your treasure, when he is all that you want, when you want to chase after him and you want to fill yourself up with more and more and more and more and more of Christ, that's when you find more and more and more and more joy. That's when you'll have more and more and more peace. Making Christ our treasure. When is enough enough? I want to give you an example that I came across this week. There is an example of John Wesley, who was a pastor who lived a few hundred years ago. And he lived in economically uncertain times. And he came to a, his, a point in his life where he realized that he could live off of 30 pounds a year, that 30 pounds was enough money for him to live off of and be able to make sure his needs were being met. He had a roof over his head, he was clothed, he was fed, and all of that. So he realized that 30 pounds was enough. And so he set a limit in his life. He says, okay, if I, if I learn, earn any more than 30 pounds, everything else I'm going to give away. And throughout the course of his life, we see that near the end of his life, he was making nearly 1,400 pounds a year, which roughly in our standards was about $300,000 a year. And we see that throughout his life, he was still able to live. Even though he's making 1,400 pounds, he was still committed to living off of 30 pounds every year. And so we see that he kept 2% and gave 98% of that away. And you know, he said uh, he, in, in, in the area of money, these are the three principles that he had as he lived through life, as he came to the end of his life. This is what he said. These are my principles for money. This is what John Wesley says. He says, gain all you can. Save all you can. And give away all that you can. Those are good principles, right? Like work hard. With the jobs and the gifts and the abilities that God has given you, work hard pursue that like make money but then give all you can save all you can but don't be mastered by it so we come to a close i want to give us just some practical helps just some things to to remember and and some things to hold on to first of all i want to just encourage you to live within your means like be okay with what you have one of the ways that you can do this to live within your means is develop a budget. I don't know if you have a budget, especially if you're a younger person here today and you're like, I'm just now getting a job, I'm just now starting on my own, or I'm getting ready to go on to the real world to make real money. I want to encourage you to develop a budget. Even if you're in a place where you've been living your, your life and you're like, I, I, we don't have a budget, we just kind of, if there's money in the bank account at the end of the month, good. If there's not, bad. Like if that's your strategy, that's not good, Okay. 
Like, develop a budget. Begin developing a budget. Look at the money that comes in and the money that goes out and try to be a good steward of, or a better steward of it. Be a better steward of the money that comes in and the money that goes out. Know where your money is going. Like, know where it's coming from. Know where it's coming from, know where it's going. Be able to track it. So develop a budget. Keep your budget simple. In your budget, plan to save. Like plan to, to plan to tithe, but also plan to save. Plan to hold, hold some back so that you can have it so you don't have to live on credit. Plan for large purchases. Hold back so that you can pay cash for large purchases. If you're in a place where you uh, are, are currently in debt, this is the encouragement that I want to give to you. Pay off your debt. Like make a commitment to get out of debt. And begin by taking your smallest debt and begin paying it off so that you can get rid of it. Because when you have no debt, you're more free to do what God calls you to do. Pay down your debt. And as you do, lastly, I want to encourage you to monitor your attitude in this whole process. Like as you're, you're budgeting, you're, you're planning on, on money that's coming in, money that's going out, as you're being a good steward of that, as you're looking at getting rid of your debt, continually monitor your attitude. This is hard. This is challenging. Because you continually have to make sure that you're cultivating contentment rather than coveting. Like fight that battle. Especially this time of year as we're walking in clearly into the holiday season. I fight that temptation. Ask God for help in that so that you're not coveting things, but you're able just to be content with what God has given you. And you can rejoice and you can enjoy what he has given you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for loving us. Thank you so much for your word. And Father, I know that you are a good and gracious God that cares for us deeply. And Father, I pray that as we live our lives, may we be able to come to the place and say, You are more than enough. That you are a treasure, that you are a goal, and you are all that we need. Help us to be people that passionately pursue you. And as we do, Father, help us to be good stewards of that which you've given us. For Father, we know that when we're faithful with little things, you promise that you'll give us more. So help us to be faithful. Father, today, if uh, through the preaching and teaching of your word, if we've come to a place where we have investigated our own hearts and own lives and we've come to a place where we realize that there are areas of disobedience in our lives today, help us, God, to not have the heart to run away from you, but help us to be bold enough to run to you and say, God, this is the mess that we've made. And Father, may we give you the broken pieces of our lives and allow you to come in and save and to restore God, continue to work in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.